This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal, and I'm Jess Khanam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, we have a great show, but it's another week on of the war in Ukraine, and it continues to be, as we predicted, devastating, unrelenting, and causing mass casualties to civilians, civilian infrastructure, throughout Ukraine, as well as to the Russian military. There have been close to 3 million Ukrainian refugees that are dispersed throughout, uh, both internally and externally displaced uh, into Europe and, and around. We have massive destruction to Kharkiv. We have the Russian military convoy that is some 41 miles long encircling Kyiv right now. And Kyiv and its suburbs have been bombed it's just unrelenting, Jamal. And before we get to the end of the show today, I'm going to have a very disturbing prediction, which I'll say for the end of the show. But as we've been t- talking about and discussing, it is unrelenting. We're, we're going to get to that, Jamal. We have lots of other topics to cover, including the hypocrisy of uh, Volodymyr uh, <laughs> Zelensky, which is very disturbing, the uh, ability of 13 uh, Russian oligarchs to evade sanctions by attempting to uh, get Israeli citizenship and well, hide from hide from sanctions, which which we'll talk about, which is really outrageous. But we have a really great interview that you did with Amira Haas, Jamal, because, you know, the Israeli occupation wants to uh, control every aspect of Palestinian life, including academic life. And they want to now control who can teach Palestinian students at university in the West Bank. And the interesting th- uh, thing about this, Jess, I mean, here they are and trying to control Palestinian minds and control who's going to teach and who's go- who are the students, what's the curriculum is going to be like. But guess by whom? It's not academics in Israel. No. It's not experts in the field of biology, physics, no. history. It's no. military. So it's really being controlled by this department uh, that Israel has uh, in, in, you know, for uh, controlling people in the West Bank or coordinating. They call it the, it's administered, by the way, by Israel's defense ministry's coordinator of government activities in the territories, otherwise known as Kogat. So, so right. you have someone in uniform who really like sits down and says, yes, no, yeah, you can teach this. This professor can come as a visiting professor, yes or no. And these people have no expertise in education of whatsoever. Let's uh, watch and listen to Amira Haas, a renowned journalist uh, who for many years covered uh, Palestine uh, for uh, the Israeli publication Haaretz. Israel has issued new restrictive criteria for visitors from friendly countries to obtain long-term visas to enter the West Bank, either as students or teachers, or to join their spouses or family or conduct business. This is part of an ever-increasing array of limitations over the years on visitors. The new policies will be administered by Israel's Defense Ministry's Coordinator of Government Activities in the Territories, uh, also known as GOGAT. Joining us to discuss this and more, Israeli journalist and author 
Amira Haas. Amira is most noted for her articles in Haaretz covering the Palestinian territories, and she's the only Jewish journalist who, since 1993, has lived continuously full-time among the Palestinians, first in Gaza and then in the West Bank. She believes that living in the area she reports about is essential to the quality of her journalism. Welcome to Arab Talk, Amira. Thank you. Well, thank you. So you recently uh, pub- I'd like just to yeah. mm-hmm. You recently Please. published uh, an article about this topic in Haaretz. Uh, yeah. Tell us about the most egregious parts of this new policy. Um, I must say that this this new regulations are are new in writing but not new not new in practice. Because for several years, I mean for more than uh, for more than 12 years uh, people have felt deterioration in the Israeli uh, 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 policy towards the entrance of foreigners from friendly countries, as I said, friendly countries to Israel, into the West Bank, into Gaza, goes without mention, um, and the West Bank, not including East Jerusalem, we should say. So um, there were quite a few uh, petitions over the years by people who were affected by this deteriorating attitude of Israeli uh, uh, authorities. For example, you had you had uh, academics who couldn't come. He wasn't sure when they were teaching at Palestinian universities or Palestinian academic uh, music academies. And uh, they were always uh, hung between um, incertitude to incertitude about when they get the permit, for how long they get the permit. Sometimes they were not, if they were uh, spouses of the Palestinians, they were not allowed to work, even though it's known that they are working. So um, lawyers, mostly Israeli uh, lawyers, submitted uh, a series of petitions against this um, uh, uh, unwritten policies. And over the years, they were promised by the by the state responding to court, to high court, that uh, a new policy is being uh, formulated. Or, 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 and you know, you had some kind of expectation that the new that the new uh, policy uh, would be more. How would they say? Can you say fair in the conditions of occupation? No, it's difficult to say fair. Uh, but what it did, these new regulations that were published only last uh, month, was actually to consolidate most most of the uh, uh, um, uh, of the uh, deterioration or the worsening of the uh, uh, policies. There are some positive things there, you know, but I don't like to say positive because this is the uh, this is the obligation of uh, of uh, a ruling uh, power to allow the people to have civil normal civilian life so i don't i don't see it as a as a great improvement if the spouses of palestinians are now allowed to work which before they were not allowed to work well you mentioned deemed... you, you mentioned in your article that yeah. sizable financial guarantees that now uh, that 
also that can yes. now be required of partners wishing to join their Palestinian spouses. Exactly. And this is also something that has been happening, even though it was not written in the former regulations, but de facto on the ground, more and more people were uh, uh, um, expected to pay, to pay very high sums of guarantees. And sometimes it's, it's ve- and not sometimes, always, it's very, uh, it's a very burdensome sum for many, uh, many um, uh, families. But what caught my attention in these regulations that are very detailed uh, is the policy towards uh, academics and students who wish to come. And the restrictions are very telling about uh, Israeli Israeli, uh, intentions. Uh, They just now published the the text in English, and uh, I could send it to you later. I saw it only this morning. So, for example, you say you have lecturers and researchers who excel in necessary professions. So this is one category of people that the regulations address. Now, what does it mean? What does it mean researchers who excel? Who decides in what they excel? It's Israel which decides who they are excel. And to be more specific, a certain official in the Ministry of, uh, of Defense or Security. And then... Uh, and they should be in necessary professions. Who decides what is a necessary profession? Will they decide that history is not necessary and only uh, economy or uh, uh, a business? And they write, and they write that uh, what is a necessary? The lecturer contributes significantly to academic learning, to the area's economy, or to advancing regional cooperation and peace. So they're, now, also, so ve- they're, they're, uh, they're also like deciding what topics you can study, right? Or you can teach. Yeah, fact. without saying, yeah. So you, you, you don't know in advance. You don't know in advance that history, uh, you will not get it for history or anthropology, but only if you teach business. But, so you're always, they always keep you in this uh, uh, incertitude. Will I get a permit? Will I not get a permit? The university will always ask itself, if I invite that and that person, will he, will he or she get a permit? So it's always keeping you uh, uh, in tension and, and not, not, uh, uh, not, uh, not able to, to, to have your own choices and decisions. It's always some kind of a... Of a um, um, Catch twenty two. Uh, the effect of of of, paraly- of paralysis. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, one thing I know I've been reading uh, recently, right here, that Israel is currently seeking a non visa status for its citizens coming to the United States to enter the United yeah. States. M- many of uh, I know several Palestinian Americans and others who. Uh, went and taught at Birzeit University and, and, and other places. So, like, so how would, uh, doesn't this fly in the face of that? Like, you know, when you're restricting Americans from going into Israel to teach, but then you want a, a non-visa status? Yeah. Actually, Israel is successfully outsourcing its uh, discriminatory attitude to other countries. So when a Palestinian-American... Now I start with the reverse. A Palestinian American who wants to go and visit relatives in uh, the West Bank, 
in a settlement in the West Bank, a Jewish American, sorry, uh, when a Jewish American wants to visit, uh, um, visit, not, not to come and emigrate, but just to visit, a family, his or her family in Betel settlement, which is built on the land of Elbire and some villages around. So he or she may do it without a problem. Now, if the neighbor of this uh, Jewish American, a Palestinian American, wants to visit his family in Elbire, he faces an array of, uh, of issues before he or she can do that, or uh, restrictions. Uh, and maybe now this regulation solve it a little bit because they, it makes a, a, a clearer distinction between long-term and short-term, but still there is discrimination. The Palestinian cannot come through, for example, through the, the, the American, American, American citizen cannot come through the airport uh, in Lid, uh, the Israeli airport in Lid, uh, which makes uh, the journey much, much longer and much more uh, costly. The Jewish American uh, can do that, of course. So here you have little discriminations that we say, okay, it's nothing in comparison to uh, uh, to uh, the closure of Gaza or, or the restrictions to get to your land, but still it's symptomatic of Israeli uh, uh, policy of discrimination and the way it succeeds to make other states complicit in it. And this is true about France and Germany and wherever. Uh, not to mention academics or students. You have students who want to study, let's say, in, in Palestinian universities. First, the number is restricted, only 150. Now, this already in con is co in contradiction with a program such as Erasmus, or for exchange of students, setting the quota. Uh, now, I don't know if there are, uh, uh, there could be, of course, many more students who want to study in, um, in Palestinian um, universities. You don't have such a quota on the uh, arrival of foreign students to Israeli academics, uh, Israeli universities. But the world, you know, is tolerating it. So this is uh, the, uh, I don't hear an outcry, not mm. of course the Israeli uh, universities, but also uh, other universities in well, the world. Uh, actually, this was going to be my, my next question because I've done several shows right here on this station. Uh, on um, academic freedom and the censoring of academic freedom, especially on American campuses, uh, the criticism of Israel. I, I'm sure you know all about this and, you know, silencing uh, academics. And, uh, and then when something like this happens, for example, in Israel, you've said even Israeli uh, universities or academics are silent about it. I mean, yeah. I mean no one is... Because that's, in, in fact, Completely. it is really the silencing, also the censoring and silencing of academic freedom. I mean, do they accept so, this? I guess they don't care or they would uh, be happy with the security pretext that here you don't have. I mean, you don't even have a security. They don't even try to, to, um, uh, uh, to cover it. Uh, what I see in these new procedures that are really very detailed, the former ones were four pages, uh, 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 the restrictions, and this one is, in Hebrew is 62. So they really entered into all those possibilities uh, that were 
actually experienced by people uh, uh, while trying to cross the the, the border uh, terminal. They, it, it seems that they have lost any shame. You know, they, they are so specific about their uh, discriminatory and restrictive measures. Uh, and they just, there is no re- introspection or to how, how uh, uh, um, racist is, is uh, uh, racist or, or, or um, patronizing. It's more patronizing. And, and really, in the old sense of a colonialist uh, ruler, uh, they are patronizing the Palestinians and the Palestinians Academy uh, without without shame. It's it's really I was this really amazed me. It's like you 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 are, you you think that they are that there is they have some wisdom, but they are completely detached <laughs> from these uh, values. Well, this story, I mean, it was no story in the United States. Uh, of it, course, it wasn't reported. The big story, at least, it was reported is, as you know, Israel's Knesset has recently passed a law denying naturalization to Palestinians uh, from the occupied West Bank and Gaza married to Israeli citizens. Do you see any connection between of maybe the timing of these two issues, you know, that the Knesset passes this and then yeah. all of a sudden they're cracking down also on academics who want to teach in Palestine? No, it's not. Again, it's not all of a sudden. It's a process. It's a process, and only they promise. No, it's this is coincidental. But uh, but the main thing here is demography, of course. I mean, this this uh, a, a craze about Jewish about uh, having Jewish majority, um, and uh, controlling the demography so that God forbidden there will be no more Palestinians in Israel. And also controlling uh, the 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 the, the uh, here in other parts like the spouses uh, part is controlling the uh, free or the 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 the, the self chosen development uh, of Palestinian demography in the West Bank. So Israel keeps interfering and meddling uh, and trying to engineer uh, the Palestinian demography in ways less brutal than it was in, of course, in 1948 or 1967. Uh, but still it's about engineering and controlling and, and uh, 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 trying to, to, um, uh, to regulate as much as it can. Well, this, this, is, this includes now controlling the mind, controlling education and who teaches and, what, and who studies and what to study. So uh, look, I don't think that they, you know, they, they it's, it's, it doesn't mean that they succeed, but, but this is the, the, uh, they really expose their true self by, by, by writing without shame such a, a, a sentence. We decide what is necessary. An official, a, 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 a an officer, and a uniformed officer in the Ministry of uh, Defense decides what is necessary for the Palestinians. I, I think that here, beside the restrictions, of course. But they really expose uh, um, this, this pro- the, the, the Israeli process of losing, uh, I said so already, losing shame. But it's not only losing shame, it's being disconnected with, uh, uh, with, with the Enlightenment, with, with, with basic concepts of Enlightenment or of, uh, of democracy, not to say. Well, you're talking about a disconnection. I mean, I mean, here we have uh, Amnesty International, right? And before that, uh, you had Human Rights Watch and Beth Salem and whatever, all issuing expansive reports qualifying Israel as an apartheid state. 
This is uh, in no way has deterred Israel from implementing more and more draconian measures. This is one of the additional draconian measures. You're talking about the disconnection. I mean, I mean, do you think they don't know what's happening? Uh, you know, in the real world, that what people are looking at and they're choosing to bury their heads in the sand or be in denial that they've created this status of apartheid. Look, as long as as states, as governments. Uh, Uh, businessmen, uh, millionaires continue to uh, uh, to do business with Israel as usual, and and uh, to respect Israel for being mediator between the Ukraine and uh, Russia, etc. Uh, and as long as Israelis do not feel, do not as long as they feel that occupation pays, that it's worth. I mean, it. We get benefits from this occupation or this control and domination over the Palestinians. Uh, I, I don't think they will get a, some sense of what, of how contradictory it is, not only to the to the lessons of Jewish history, but to basics, you know, uh, uh, basic requirements, uh, supposedly basic requirements of the uh, so-called democratic world. So they basically are not ashamed of, of or, or worried about a reputation damage, really. Like this, this is no. as long as long as the United States keeps supporting Israel and and the rest of the Western world. I have to ask you now, since we are in this big inter global mess, which is Russia and Ukraine, and uh, uh, and you know, because you started talking about this, that uh, Israel, which basically occupies and controls the lives of uh, close to six million Palestinians, wants to apparently Bennett wants to play the role of mediator between Russia and Ukraine. I, I have to see what how, how are Israelis reacting to this. I think they were proud. You know, like they were proud that we uh, that you know there, there is there was there has been criticism of certain aspects of the Israeli policy of not being out uh, outright critical of Russia, and then of course one of the criticism was uh, uh, at especially at the Minister of uh, Interior Ayelet Shaked, uh, who is really ill notorious in her uh, ethnocratic Jewish. Uh, Uh, policies, and she refused to have uh, to have Israel accept uh, refugees, Ukrainian refugees who are not Jewish, and this really aroused some kind of an uproar, and she had to withdraw, um, which shows that when Israelis want, they can uh, 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 they they do um, uh, they do criticize Israeli Israeli discriminatory policies, but not when it comes to Palestinians. No, Israelis in large uh, think that this is something to be proud of. That Bennett is uh, 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 is able to 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 or is is uh, welcome to negotiate between the two sides. You mentioned in an interview that there is no restriction on the freedom of information in Israel; uh, that anything can be expressed, but that the ultimate challenge is the impasse of the average Israeli's mentality. Uh, their refusal to understand how damaging and morally wrong the occupation is. Can you elaborate on this? I think this is something I said years ago. I would say now we ha we are free to write and to 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 give information. The public is not interested to know this information, uh, and in the mainstream media, the 
um, the companies, the, the owners of the, mass me- uh, the mainstream media are reluctant to bring uh, news that are, um, that are more critical of Israeli policies uh, in, in, uh, vis-à-vis the Palestinians and the question of occupation and the settler colonialism. But what I w- want to stress here is that I'm not in danger. I'm speaking to you and I'm criticizing uh, Israel and I'm not in danger, which means uh, it's unlike, I mean, if, we, if my, my uh, young Israeli activists go and demonstrate against Israeli policies, okay, they might be beaten, they might be harassed a little bit by, by right wing, but they don't risk fundamental things in their lives. Like, unlike, for example, Russian uh, activists to demonstrate now against the war. What I want to say is that because we're not in danger, the burden of silencing, of being silent, is even heavier. Uh, uh, the, the, the complicity is even, uh, is even uh, more, more severe and more condemnable. Because we are not in danger, we could, you know, academics in Israel, uh, uh, universities, teachers, uh, uh, trade unions, um, because they don't risk anything by criticizing Israeli policies, their silence is even more uh, uh, condemnable. Do you think this plays more into the putting a facade of democracy than, than since you In have... a way, it is democracy for Jews. And this is, of course, an oxymoron, but it is a democracy for Jews. But we don't even use, most of the Jews don't even use this oxymoron in order to be really... Uh, 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 to to really to 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 ch- to uh, go along the concept of democracy. Amira Haas, uh, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you, thank you for inviting me. Bye bye. That's the voice and the face of Amira Haas, uh, Haaretz journalist and uh, reporter who's been reporting on occupied Palestine and and things related to the apartheid state for many decades. Now, Jamal, that was a fantastic interview. And it really speaks to the depth and the breadth of the occupation, not only physical occupation uh, of Palestinians, economic occupation, but now an attempt to occupy the academic institutions in the West Bank by the Israeli military, attempting to control and determine who and what can be taught in the West Bank. And my question to you, Jamal, and, uh, you know, to Amira, uh, you'll have to answer uh, on her behalf. This transcends any kind of uh, uh, attack on academic freedom that we have seen in the modern era, having the military now well, uh, controlling yeah. it. We actually talked about this, just and... Uh, I mean, we've covered academic freedom. I mean, many of our aud- people in our audience here know what uh, what's happening at San Francisco State University with Dr. Rabab right. Abdelhadi. We've had uh, also people from Canada and other places talk about their, the issues of uh, what's happening with academic freedom, really. And this one is is very special because now you don't have bureaucrats or ad, a, a, or, right. or university administration or the provost or the president of uh, university. You have the military just, I don't know uh, what 
this takes us back how many decades or whatever, where you have now, or during maybe the Soviet Union, where you have the a branch in the government, like the military or or uh, security services? No, I don't think it was ever the military, even under the Soviet Union, Jamal. I mean, it was bureaucrats. Here we have a military. It would be like the United States military going into Berkeley or San Francisco State and determining who could who could teach, what they could teach, and how they could teach. So my my issue in question, you know, it's the chronic uh, thing that we say here on Arab Talk, will the United States say anything? Will the U.S. Academy confront this gross abuse of academic this freedom? Is, this is a no story in the United States. That's why we brought Amira Haas to shed light, you know, and share her expertise on this topic because this wasn't covered just. I'll tell you what was covered, and this is connected because we we keep talking about Israeli apartheid. We we keep talking about Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, B'Tselem, wherever, all this, you know, all these uh, uh, reputable organizations certifying Israel as an apartheid regime. And and all of a sudden, you have this thing here uh, happening in, in the same pretty much period or week or days when Israel's Knesset, Israel's Knesset, Israel's parliament uh, passed a law denying right. citizenship or naturalization to Palestinians from the West Bank or Gaza who are married to Israeli citizens, basically forcing thousands of Palestinian families to either immigrate or or live apart. So if you're a Palestinian, so, so people have to realize there are there is about 21% uh, of Israel's uh, population um, are non-Jewish. They are Palestinians, uh, basically, 19, we, we refer to them uh, in 1948, Palestinians. Israel likes to call them Arab Israelis to kind of like avoid using the name Palestine in that. And these folks, so if you were living in Jaffa, you're a Palestinian from Jaffa with an Israeli citizenship, and you, you married someone from Ramallah or from Nablus, your spouse cannot become an Israeli citizen and in many right. cases cannot even leave the West Bank. And, and for sure, it's almost impossible to leave Gaza uh, to live with you. I mean, they've been playing with this game for ages because they had a temporary order first passed uh, in 2003 and then they renewed it uh, and then it was a, it hasn't become a law, but now... They basically, under this so-called citizenship law, they passed it before the Knesset disbanded uh, for the holiday recess by a 45 to 15 majority vote that crossed coalition opposition uh, lines. So, of course, the argument which you hear it from... uh, you know, xenophobes, which I think this is, aside from racism, xenophobia, like uh, uh, the one of the leaders of the far-right religious Zionism party, Simcha Rothman, they keep repeating this, the state of Israel is Jewish and so it will remain. This is like coming here in the United States, like, you know, the United States is, is Christian and so it will remain, right? Today, God willing, Israel's defensive shield will be significantly strengthened this is according to also another celebrity Israeli politician, the Interior Minister Ayelet Shaked, a, a, a well-known racist and Islamophobe. I mean, 
you know, that's how she refers to the Palestinians, that this is their defensive shield. And, and of course, uh, Palestinians in 1948, Palestinians, um, they're, they're saying this is nothing but xenophobic and racist. Well, Jamal, I think we have to face the real painful reality that not only is the United States not going to confront Israel on their on their academic apartheid or this kind of uh, racist Islamophobic law, you know, barring Palestinian families from uniting, we have to face the kind of ugly reality that the American political body and the American political system is embracing a very similar kind of approach to politics, to uh, diversity, and to kind of just how a society should be. So not only is the American uh, 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 political establishment going to give Israel yet another pass on their racist uh, uh, policies, they might even be taking this Israeli defensive uh, posture against, uh, you know, integration of uh, its citizens with one another, so-called, um, we may see the United States fully embracing this form of Islamophobia and uh, racism. I think we see it more and more. Uh, when well, it's we definitely look, in Europe. We, we, it's in France. We, we see it in France. And we Germany see it in Europe. And, other places, yeah. and this is a good segue to, you know, a couple of other of our segments today. We, we see it every day with the ongoing media coverage of, you know, good occupations, bad occupations, good refugees, bad refugees. You know, some refugees are fleeing occupation and other refugees are illegal immigrants. And some refugees to- have blue eyes and some don't have blue eyes. Some That's have exactly- bl- blonde hair. And, and some have hair I like have to, me. I have, to, I have to remind you again, just are you civilized? Well, apparently I'm not civilized. Apparently we're not civilized, Jamal. And apparently Syrians, Palestinians, and Yemenis, and brown and black, uh, you know, uh, you know, seekers of freedom from occupation, war, and economic devastation in Africa and in Central and South America are not civilized. And I you just, know, we- I'm, I'm sorry to keep to keep uh, to ask you this uh, again. I asked you this last week because I just can't get this image this of this American reporter standing and right. talking about civilized Europeans with blue eyes. But Jamal, eyes they're still the, doing I it. I just can't, I'm, you know, it's like I unbelievable. Know, I know, but you're saying a specific uh, event that happened recently. I'm talking about day-to-day coverage on all of the major ne- media networks, both in the United States and in Europe, that continue to portray this as a civilized uh you know, population that is fleeing occupation, totally ignoring the racism, totally ignoring the Islamophobia, totally ignoring the fact of what's having to black and brown people in in the Middle East and North Africa and Africa and Central and South America. It continues to be a deeply racist uh, kind of coverage. And I don't see that it's changing at all, Jamal. But what we do uh, see, Jamal, is an extension of the racism because we see some occupations as being forbidden and we need to fight it, but some occupations are okay. And we even have the heroic figure of Volodymyr Zelensky, um, who you know internationally is being celebrated as a hero for combating the Russian occupation of Ukraine, ce- celebrating an avowed racist and an avowed historical figure in the apartheid Israeli history 
who embraced and engaged in a brutal occupation of Palestine. So my question to you, is Zelensky going to get a pass? And isn't it interesting that he's able to embrace one occupier and being celebrated as resisting another? Yes, he will. And just to remind our, our listeners and viewers, you're referring to Zelensky saying that he admires Golda Meir. And I tell you, millions of Palestinians don't admire Golda Meir, who, like himself, she was... Uh, born in, uh, in 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 the in Ukraine before uh, colonizing basically Palestine and and being a major participant in the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. Not only this, Jess, but think about how many countries are in the world, Jess. I mean, <laughs> close to two hundred. He picks the only apartheid regime to be right. the mediator. Yeah, no, not to celebrate, but also wants to have. Peace negotiation in Jerusalem. Of course, he bypasses the thousands of Palestinians, doesn't ask uh, Palestinians permission. He wants an avowed racist, someone who is actually a settler, you know, Bennett, right. the prime minister of, of Israel, who calls for the expulsion of, of Palestinians to be the mediator between Ukraine and Russia. I mean, look at the audacity in this. I mean, he could have chosen Switzerland, right? Like most people to like Germany, a neutral country, France, any country in Europe, but, any but to take the negotiations all the way. And, and you know, and he could have cho chosen one out of the 22 Arab countries, whatever. But he purposefully picked an apartheid regime. So, well, I mean, I'm very sympathetic to what's going on in Ukraine because I don't like, as someone who has seen violence and experienced it and an occupation, you don't want to wish it on anyone. But I have no sympathy for the, his character who has been well, make, made, as a, made as a hero when, A, during when is, uh, Israel was bombarding Gaza, he came to the defense of Israel, not to the children of Gaza. Two, that he wants to have his peace negotiation, asking, you know, Jerusalem, asking someone who wants to basically uh, ethnically cleanse Palestinians uh, in, in Bennett to be the, the mediator in, uh, in, in this. Well, that's exactly right, Jamal. And this is why we have to confront the mainstream media yet again, giving Zelensky a pass on his hist history of supporting apartheid regimes and supporting occupation. You know what's ironic about him asking Naftali Bennett to act as a mediator? It was Bennett who said, well, maybe you should give up Crimea. Maybe, <laughs> because maybe... Bennett is looking at his own interest and his own exactly, country's interest. Exactly, Jamal. And we'll exactly. come to this topic why, I mean, if we have time. But when, when, since we are on this topic, just talking about this, but guess what? Uh, Several Israeli soldiers, actually m dozens of them, I don't know the numbers, uh, have been uh, answering the call by the Ukrainian embassy in Tel Aviv to join to fight against Russia's invasion. This is from Israeli media. And and then who are these foreign fighters and what, what their motives are, Jess? And so I was listening, you know, and I posted this video actually uh on our uh on on facebook on on twitter it's from uh channel two in israel and these are uh 
Ukrainian settlers. Exactly. So, you, you know, here is, here is someone, 22-year-old Israeli-Ukrainian who immigrated to Israel from Kharkiv at the age of 12 with his parents. And he says, I love Israel. I'm a patriot, but Ukraine is my birthplace. Well, if Ukraine is your birthplace, why are you occupying Palestinian, Palestinian land. land and he served in the Golani Brigade some of them served in the elite Golani Brigade and now they're going back to where they should have been to begin with been in, in, in Ukraine to fight there when they have spent decades basically oppressing Palestinians I mean this is we're talking about irony and here's another irony well of course Jamal it's a painful irony and they will get a pass the Israelis will get a pass but I think what should not never get a pass is celebrating uh Zelensky without doing a careful vetting of his historical comments and the fact that he's made many comments that were not only uh racist and Islamophobic but I think the one that you mentioned is especially egregious. When, when, when the Israelis were bombing civilian women and children in Gaza, he supported an apartheid military regime and supported an occupation. This is back to the, to the hypocrisy yet again, Jamal, that the media will not look at. No, no one fighting. will question it. No one will question it. So, yeah, he's being celebrated as a hero for, for you know, kind of forestalling or attempting to forestall this occupation. But some occupations, Jamal, I guess if you're occupying brown people, if you're occupying Palestinians, if you're occupying Muslims, then I guess it's okay. Not only this, Jess, but I mean, we've talked extensively last week about the coverage, uh, you know, of the Ukraine-Russia, uh, about the media, really, and, 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 and the racism and the xenophobia and the Islamophobia. But think about this thing here. And I know you noticed this. The media has become, American media, has become a platform for Ukrainians, right. politicians, uh, advocates, you name it, right. to actually call for military assistance, call for uh, foreign, uh, foreign fighters, call for no-fly zone. I have a question for you. <laughs> do you think, and this is people will think this is crazy. Do you think the U.S. media will allow will allow Sayyid Hassan Nasrallah from Lebanon during the bombardment of Beirut to come on CNN and say, "Hey, we need more weapons. We need more weapons. We need a no-fly zone." Yeah, that's a great point, Jamal. And not only does it extend to the media, but it extends to social media too. And I think. But I'm saying this is advocacy. They're advocating for well, violence instead of reporting on. on that's what's exactly going on. right. And by the way, Facebook has allowed various posts advocating for violence just when they went through this whole thing, shutting down these violent posts. But now they're letting violence uh, being perpetrated against Russians, for example, even. The hint of violence against Russian civilians. They're allowing that kind of uh, rhetoric to run free on Facebook. So again, more hypocrisy. You're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. And this is uh, actually uh, Facebook or Meta now confirmed a temporary easing of its rules to allow calls to violence, like death to the Russian invaders, uh basically and 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 calls for like we, we said the advocacy we need more weapons how to make basically molotov cocktail 
bombs and they allow, they, they allow it to be posted like instructions on on, right. on facebook when they have been removing basically palestinian pro-palestinian pages and and others like because it violates their house rules right and now so, they're saying oh we're gonna lift that so so again the double standards is kind of sickening it is sickening, Jamal, because, you know, you and I, and uh, we've been speaking about, for example, the nonviolent BDS approach to confronting the apartheid regime of Israel. It gets shut down. Academics speaking about apartheid Israel gets shut down. But a call to violence uh, by certain people, blonde and blue-eyed Europeans, is given a pass by Meta and by Facebook and by Twitter, for that ex for that matter. And nobody in the media has called it out. Nobody except Arab Talk, you and I, I don't see anybody else in the media calling this out, Jamal. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. I have a question for you. <laughs> Just where do crooks, rapists, money launderers uh pedophiles war war, war war criminals pedophiles and russian oligarchs uh, seek shelter at well the easy answer jamal is that if you're a pedophile if you're trying to if you're a spy if you're trying to evade being arrested in the united states or in europe if you're an oligarch with a big yacht just become an israeli citizen and you will have rabbis protect you. You'll have uh, the apartheid regime reinstate or give you Israeli citizenship, and you'll be given a pass. And so my question back to you, Jamal, is that the apartheid regime seems to be a haven for oligarchs and pedophiles. Well, guess guess what? Roman Abramovich, Abramovich. was spotted a few hours ago at Lod Airport, Ben-Gurion Airport. So, so there is a picture of him sitting at the airport a couple of days ago his plane was tracked uh that right it landed uh, landed there so this is the answer to this not only this uh, now we have this is and this is not my invention or your invention and this is coming from israeli media that they've been reporting that private jets belonging to oligarchs coming in and out of the country in the past few days this is a report on channel the israeli channel 12 said that uh, sunday that one of obramovich's planes had arrived and today i actually found his picture sitting actually at, at ben, ben gurion airport so before they didn't confirm that he was there but actually now he has been spotted in tel aviv okay and so now there's a lot so, of kind of discussion about Israel is now grappling with how to deal with a dozen of Jewish Russian oligarchs uh, as Western nations uh, step up sanctions on 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 these wealthy so, wealthy so the people United with States, ties to Putin. Right. So the United States today, yes, and yesterday, uh, made a very strong statement to the Chinese government and the Chinese foreign minister not to support Russia in any way. And, and to support the sanctions. But have they said anything about the Israeli uh, opening with welcome arms, these uh, Russian oligarchs? Well, I haven't heard anything. Well, Jamal. these are also now dual citizens. So, so, so that, like, again, these are, uh, you know, 
dozens of these tycoons or oligarchs have taken Israeli citizenship or Israeli residency in recent, uh, recent years. And of course, they're all with great working relationship with Putin and, and his cronies. Uh, at least we know these four, Roman Abramovich, uh, Mikhail Friedman, uh, Peter Avon, Victor Vexelberg, they all have Israeli citizenship and they all have property in, in, in Israel. They all have companies in, in Israel. And uh, as you know, since the Soviet Union fell apart 30 years ago, uh, almost a million um, Russian Jews uh, from the former Soviet Union immigrated to Israel, some of them stayed there. Some of them then used it as a as a hopping point to come to the states and other other places. But, why, but, but in recent, what, but what past, will they say, Jamal? What what will they say about <laughs> these Russian oligarchs who are being sanctioned by the United States and the European Union, who need to be brought to justice for supporting Vladimir Putin? Will they let them get away with it? Yes, because they let them get away with it before. And I, I'm, and I give you the history behind Abramovich Israeli citizenship. He became an Israeli citizen in 2018, just after his British visa was, was revoked, was right. revoked, was or was not renewed. Right. Uh, apparently, as part of the British uh, uh, authorities' efforts to crack down on Putin associates. After, if you recall that, the former Russian spy, or former Russian spy, was poison, poison in England. You, you know That's that, right. right? And and so they they didn't want to, you know, kind of renew some of them. And he his because you know he has a lot of businesses in Europe and invested also in the UK, invested in New Jersey, right here in the United States, in Manhattan, and of course in 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 Tel Aviv. So after he lost that, he immediately got Israeli citizenship in 2018. And here is something you'll like, uh, more information. He bought a great piece of real estate uh, in, 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 in a trendy neighborhood of Tel Aviv, a very expensive house. And he purchased it, do you know from, from whom? He purchased it from the husband of Gal Gadot. Oh my God! So this is maybe more information, but this is his connection now to Tel Aviv, where he lives, and well, and now we, he's we, back there. He is well, there today, as we're speaking. He's back there. So Jamal, how many how many uh, spies who have spied on the United States have been let go and have gone to the apartheid state? How many Russian oligarchs? How many pedophiles? How many? criminals have evaded American or European justice by going to the apartheid state. The list is getting very large, Jamal, and I don't see the Biden administration or the Justice Department coming after these individuals. I'm afraid they're going to get a pass. Well, of course, because they're there now. The noose is closing uh, on them. They cannot come to the United States. They have investments. They have property in the United States. They cannot go to the UK, where they also have investments, most of Europe. So now they are in Israel with billions of dollars. They also invested billions of dollars also in, in charitable organizations. Oh, and by the way, because we talked about uh, Abramovich, uh, you know, funding uh, Yad Vashem, uh, Israel's National Holocaust Memorial. So this week, 
the uh, the Yad Vashem issued a statement distancing itself from Abramovich and saying that they are suspending a reported uh, donation of tens of millions of dollars from Abramovich uh, between courts in in light of recent developments. So his money was good before. His money was well, kosher. Was kosher before, but now it's not kosher. Well, why you don't know? they return all of it? Jamal? Exactly. Because so, so, and this is just this is one organization. We know that he he funded uh, racist and and uh, and uh, racist uh, settler organizations uh, like Ur David and and That's others right. uh, in millions of dollars. So, what happened to to that? Right. What well, happened to no, this? Nothing, nothing, nothing will happen to that. Hey, Jamal, I know we only have a few minutes left, but I want to make sure that we leave room for a very disturbing prediction that I have. Well, go ahead. I, <laughs> I, I, I had to end on a good note. <laughs> We're not going to end on a good note. I want to remind our listeners, because Biden has been drawing all these red lines, and this prediction has to do with something you alluded to and we have been talking about is that the trajectory of the Russian, of the war in Ukraine is headed, in our opinion, in a very bad direction. And nobody sees a good outcome here, but I see a particularly bad outcome. And I want to remind our listeners of a couple of things. When uh, former President Barack Obama made a red line when he said in Syria, if the Russians use chemical weapons, that's a red line. Well, guess what? The Russians used chemical weapons in Syria, and what did the Obama administration do? Nothing. Now we have uh, Joe Biden saying, if the Russians use chemical weapons in Ukraine, uh, they will suffer from severe consequences. I have breaking news for former President Obama, President Biden, and anybody else. When you put Putin in a corner and you draw these red lines, guess what? He doubles down. So my prediction, Jamal, is not only is the war in Ukraine going to get much worse for Ukrainians, I believe that the next time we come on the show, uh, Kyiv will be under occupation. Kyiv will, will have been taken over. But my really bad prediction is that I believe that uh, Putin is going to strike a NATO country. I don't know which one. Maybe it's Poland because they hit they hit a base outside of Poland, you know, in western uh, Ukraine, about 15 miles close to the Polish border. But I'm afraid that uh, Putin's going to not only just go double down, but he's going to go all the way. Because guess what? When Biden says we're going to defend every inch of NATO, it's not he's not telling the truth. They will never do it. Well, I hope your predictions are wrong, uh, just because, as you said, this will be devastating. Anyway, uh, we are feeling the devastation. People right. across the globe are feeling the devastation. The price of gasoline in this country is $6. And you know, a lot of Americans are hurting, not to mention uh, the economic repercussion. But most important, important is what's happening to the innocent civilians in, in Ukraine. When, it's going to get when, worse. When, when homes are, are destroyed, when they are made refugees, when they have lost loved ones, because what nobody has expected or or the the phrase that never again well never again apparently was not never again that they that whole idea is not having these devastating wars in Europe and now we're seeing what's going on in Europe aside from politics aside uh, if you want to blame it on Putin you want to blame it on uh, on the on Zelensky you know, this is devastating 
to everyone involved, including Russians, including these Russian soldiers who they have sent out basically That's to right. invade a neighboring country, young young soldiers, you know, 18, 19 year old. War is devastating. It's made by leaders who don't take into account uh, the death and destruction, really, and the suffering. I mean, I don't think Putin is sitting, having sleepless nights thinking no. about the Russian soldiers or thinking about the Ukrainian mother who has lost a child. And, and this is the devastation that we'd like to see not happen. And, uh, but a lot of times your predictions are correct, and I, I, I pray that you are wrong. I pray that I'm wrong, Jamal, but uh, I think the entire world has miscalculated the intentions of uh, Vladimir Putin and, you know, putting him into a corner without an off-ramp, and there's no good off-ramp here for him, unless the only good off-ramp is if Zelensky gives up uh, Crimea and gives up two of the so-called independent regions in the eastern region that border, border Russia, if he's willing to uh, give those up, which is what Naftali Bennett is telling him, maybe you should give that up, then maybe there's an off-ramp for Putin. But unless the Ukrainians and the world are willing to support, you know, those conclusions, I'm afraid Putin's going to double down, he's going to take over all of Ukraine, and he's going to test the waters, and he's going to, I'm afraid, and I, I pray that I'm wrong too, he's going to go after a NATO country, and we'll see what happens. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download our episodes. And we will talk to you next week. We'll see you next week.